The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kia ora and welcome to The Fold. Uh, this week I have Cameron Harland on the show. Um, and in some ways it's so long time coming. Uh, six months he's been in the role, but I've been fascinated by New Zealand On Air as an institution for um, maybe 15 years. Whenever I sort of started to have some shape of it in my head, and, and I've been writing about it since I was a music journalist, and honestly... Probably, you know, I've I've learned about the organisation by writing things about it and 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 often getting them wrong, and mischaracterising them. That's that's an ugly truth of journalism is that sometimes that's how it works. But um, I find them as an agency super fascinating. That just even the the model that sort of decentralised model of having anyone make bids to 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 make things to serve an audience. You know, it's it's a legacy of that fourth Labour government with all of the radical change they did. You know, uh, from from um, uh, sort of inflation targeted interest rates to ACC to that's a whole other geeky strand. But but fundamentally, New Zealand on air as as a model is is near unique internationally. I actually think as much as it worked reasonably well for its first uh, 25, 30 years, it's even more well designed for a moment like this not that it necessarily means it's it's done the job uh well but i don't or, or you know always done the job well but i think it it has the capacity to to meet the complexity of this moment in terms of um you know allowing it, it just allows for innovation and the winding up and down of things which is much more hard with an institution like tvnz rnz or or even the spin-off um so Cam's got an amazing um, background. Uh, he 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 was the CEO of uh, Park Road Post, which was part of Peter Jackson's enormous web of companies. Um, he's been on the board of the Film Commission of Tipapa of TVNZ, uh, director of Weta Workshop. He came from Crick HQ. I'd love to talk to him about that because we Crick HQ is this sort of really bizarre. Um, cricket tech startup thing, which which fell apart in a quite um, spectacular way. Look up Rebecca Stevenson's story on, on that and the spinoff for more information there. But basically, he's got he's got an amazing CV, and I've only spoken to him two or three times before today. But really thoughtful person, very well intentioned. Seemed to mesh mesh very well with with Amy Mills and and her team in terms of. 
people who are willing to go and walk into this very difficult moment as far as uh, the, the splintering of audiences goes and, and have those hard um, intellectually taxing discussions and, and ultimately, you know, probably make some, some pretty difficult decisions out the back of it. So we talked about um, the, the, the Where the Audiences Are survey, which I, which I discussed a couple of weeks back. We talked about the challenges around meeting diverse audiences, both youth particularly, but also Asian, Pacifica, Māori, New Zealanders, um, and how, just how, you know, how honestly all platforms, us, us included, um, aren't necessarily doing what, what we need to there and what New Zealand on Air's role and all that is. Talks about the challenges um, of of operating and uh, through through COVID nineteen and starting a job and four days later going into lockdown. Uh, anyway, there's a lot in it. I, ha- I had a lot of fun um, and uh, yeah, enjoy this episode of the Fold with Cameron Harland. Uh, kia ora, Cameron, and uh, welcome to the Fold. Kia ora, Duncan. Thank you for having me. No, no, it's 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 really good to have you on. There's there's so much to talk about. Um, given the, I mean, there is at, at all times, but I think for New Zealand on air this this year, this this moment has been particularly uh, interesting. And I remember the the first time Cameron and I spoke was maybe sort of it was during the first lockdown, and and you'd been in the role for maybe six weeks. And I wonder if you could just sort of talk me through, you know, landing in the job and then with no time to familiarise yourself with the, the, you know, with the position, with even with your, your people and, and to really get a head, your head around how you were going to, to, to run the organisation, suddenly this thing hits you. So do you want to like just, just talk me through those, those first kind of few weeks or couple of months uh, in the role? Sure. Actually, I think... Yeah, so I started um, on the Tuesday um, of the week leading up to lockdown. So I had four days in the office here before um, we made a call um, to trial working from home on the Monday as we could sort of see what was coming at us. Um, so actually, I think we probably talked within two or three weeks of me starting. And, and, and in a weird way, uh, I've talked about this a couple of times, but obviously it was the worst possible kind of case scenario for so many of the sectors that we support and we'll get into that later no doubt Um, but from the point of view of kind of coming into a role and trying to get a sense of who's who and um, you know who to catch up with and kind of engage with the sector in a weird way albeit it wasn't in person I ended up meeting with a huge amount of people within the first you know two or three weeks including you Um, and that was, I thought, really important. I mean, it would have been important anyway, right? I mean, that's what you would expect anyone to come into a role like this to do, is to get out and meet the sector and understand, you know, what's going on. Um, it was massively, massively more important as we kind of entered into lockdown. Um, really, really quickly, I mean, there were a couple of things that kind of became obvious to me straight away. One, one was that we have uh, an amazing agency and an amazing team, um, albeit a really small, tight unit, um, our head of our, our head of funding, um, Amy Mills, was actually on maternity leave uh, when I started, and she got hold of me almost immediately and said, "Look, you know, I'm sort of coming to the end of maternity leave anyway. 
my brain's kind of ready to kind of do some other things. But actually, for me, more, more sort of stunning was simply the fact that she said, hey, I'll put my hand up and help. What do you need? And um, she sort of immediately took on a role just sort of helping us navigate the, the kind of the COVID pressures that people were dealing with while the rest of the team just kind of concentrated on on the sort of the business as usual funding round stuff that, um, that again, the sector said they really wanted from us. So, so on the one hand... Um, we had a, you know, we had a sector that were really fearful and concerned about what was coming for them. On the other, I think they were saying, "Please give us sort of hope and and the confidence that you know what you do all the time will continue to be done." So, we were in the middle of, of a pretty standard funding round when all of this hit. We, as you I think know, um, decided to go out with a with a sort of a COVID rapid response RFP as well. Um, and, and as much as that was to kind of create more content, really it was it was kind of part of that high, kind of hope perspective. Like let's let's show the sector that we, we we understand how fearful they are, and let's get as many people into work as we possibly can. So um, yeah, it's it's been a pretty extraordinary um, ride. If I'm honest, I actually think the latest lockdown in Auckland has actually been more concerning. Um, uh, you know, I think we we got around the sector. Um, you know, we we spoke a lot to everyone. You know, we put out that rapid response. We we kind of you know, we, 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 importantly, I guess, we showed that we we understood the concerns. Um, I think coming out of lockdown and having that sort of hundred days of of um, of kind of no community transmission or no 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 cases. Um, I think for for most of us i think we felt like we'd kind of got through it and so the the Auckland one for me i think we've had a lot of especially the screen sector um but but obviously also music i mean that the musicians have been absolutely brutalized by this thing i mean they they got hit first because gigs stopped really early um and they continue to be hit you know you can't you can't play a gig in front of 10 people um in fact it's not really worth it in front of 100 so um, yeah, I think that that whole sudden sudden idea that hey, maybe we're not through this, and maybe this is going to take quite a lot longer, and the uncertainty of what that means is is pretty tough. It's it's interesting, right? Because obviously New Zealand on air through its position, you know, you have it's a it's a term that people hate, but it's um, unfortunately the <laughs> one of the most the, the the only ones you have is, is stakeholders sort of everywhere you know um from the screen production sector to large and small um media businesses uh to you know like you say to, to gigging musicians and when the uh when the sort of the the, the big economic story of uh of COVID-19 has the the emphasis has been and you understandably so on uh, tourism and education, just as you know, just vast multi-billion-dollar sectors. But that also describes um, uh, the the sort of screen production sector and, and the, the the media more more broadly, depending on which definition you use. Do you feel like the 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 sort of the public and and government understands just how much trauma has been visited upon the you know the the industry and and how well placed do you think that New Zealand on air is to sort of navigate through that or or, or help um, begin sort of triaging that that those wounds um, interesting questions i mean the the question about how much do we think the public are aware is is a really tricky one right because 
in truth, um, every sector has been impacted. Just about every sector has been massively impacted. So, I mean, one of the things that we had to be really careful of in response to um, sort of industry pleas was to sort of say, look, we, we also have to take a little step back and understand everyone else is hurting as well. So we need to think really carefully about um, the levers that we should be pulling to, to best give effect to um, um, you know, our sectors coming out of this well without getting kind of completely carried away. Um, I, I think, so music is a classic, right? I mean, we, we fund contemporary sort of music recording, right? So singles and albums. We're not involved in the live sort of gig um, side of things. I guess what we said is, look, the lever we can pull is we can access more funds to fund more musicians into making music. So they may not be able to play live, but at the very least we can use this time to get them into studios and create you know, a wealth of material that they, can, um, <clears throat> that they can use to kind of promote themselves and make some money from down the line. Um, <clears throat> the screen sector, you know, again, uh, you know, we're hearing that double-edged sword thing, right? So the screen sector in lockdown, of course, no one can make anything. Um, when we started to come out of those alert levels, though, I think a lot of the a lot of the screen sector folk were saying, "Hey, we've got a bit of an interesting opportunity here. We're, we're one of the only places in the world that can tangibly make quality content. Um, so why don't we try and leverage that and, and see if we can kind of get some funds to make to make more." Uh, which again is, is sort of come through the COVID response. We have received funding for sort of higher end, sort of premium drama and and feature films. So, um, look, yeah, I mean, one of the thing, one of the important things I said early on and continue to is that you know we are in Wellington, um, which is sort of like sometimes a good thing and a bad thing because a lot of the activity is done outside of Wellington, of course. But but the fact is we 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 are able to access. Uh, you know, ministries, ministers, we are able to kind of um, engage on behalf of our sector in a really meaningful way. And I think we did. I think we managed to get some really good um, packages of support from from the government. I mean, we talk about music. I mean, we had our music bud- budget doubled. Um, and, you know, we're, see- we're already starting to kind of send that money out the door, which is really important for musicians right now. Do you think that... I mean, I guess the the sort of the flip side of it is, you know, that that um, while having people sort of trapped inside, or or even maybe ne- not necessarily able to commit to whether it's touring in music or or large scale productions uh, within screen production, it sort of it allows for development, which is this kind of thing that is feels to me like particularly on the screen production side people talk a lot about and it seems to often be the the missing piece that there's this kind of um scramble uh to you know because you kind of can't do too much of it before you have funding then once you get funding that it feels like the clock is ticking on it um you know, has there have there been opportunity? You know, what was there an opportunity to do more development during this period? And you know, and is that an example of the kind of thing that you know, a, a sort of a long running, hard to solve, that that might you know might also be a sort of a positive 
element that comes out of it? Yeah, that's a really insightful point, and, and I think you're right. I mean, I think the one thing that we are expecting to see as a result of the various kind of lockdowns is, is a lot more interesting kind of content and ideas coming through because, you know, that's the one thing people could do. Um, interestingly, the, the $50 million fund that um, is, is sort of being st- st- sort of almost framed up in terms of how it'll be administered, and it's a joint fund between... Um, NZFC and NZ on Air, obviously, we've also brought into Mungo Pahu um, into that as well. Is uh, the idea of of more premium kind of dramas, sort of above and beyond what, what we might normally be able to fund? Uh, an important point within that, and we made it, and I think managed to get it over the line, is that it's sort of it's almost toothless without setting aside some decent level of development money to allow people to kind of develop those kind of premium dramas um, and features. So, yeah, look, I think it, it, is, it is a challenge. Um, we, you know, we are looking, I guess, again, fresh eyes in, in the role. From my perspective and working alongside Amy and the funding team, we are definitely bring, you know, putting our minds to some of those challenges. It is, it is often that scramble, you're right. It's like, hey, here's a funding round, um, here's a couple of ideas, and, and we're sort of in a position where now more than ever we're faced with so many great proposals, so, so many more than ever before, that um, you know, we're, we're now not even able to fund some of the great things that, that we really dearly want to, let alone some of the, the, the less developed ones as well. It's interesting that, you know, you, you sort of, you know, make that point about, uh, you, you know, trying to do sort of even more premium drama. I mean, to me as a, you know, obviously I've had a few kind of roles around there. And, and as a critic of or a, um, a reviewer of um, some of our drama, the, it, to, to be honest, like the thing that it's, it suffered from, to my mind, has been the writing and the concepting. It hasn't really been necessarily been the the acting or the cinematography, so or, or you know, or any of those elements. Like they 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 look and feel, um, you know, somewhere between good enough and 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 exceptional at times. But it is that sort of that sense of a a, a person or a group of people having that time to to really sweat um something to to kind of take it from from good or, or to, to great or, or or adequate to 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 very good at times the 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 the, the thing that's difficult though or, or it seems to me that that's difficult is that you know and and i'd be interested to to have your thoughts on this with this 50 million dollar fund um like is it a work scheme for the screen production sector or is it something which meets an audience need and I, I guess the reason I ask is that like I'm a huge consumer of and, and fan of big budget dramas but they are easily the most expensive thing we make and while we have had some sales and and sort of syndication overseas that's not really New Zealand on air's role and you know is there a, a sort of a, on a value basis or a bang per buck basis still a case for continuing to make those more premium dramas because they are by, the, by far the most expensive thing we do when they're when and we're, we're obviously just about to get into the the audience stuff there the the pressing areas of audience need uh, aren't necessarily going to be met by those kind of productions or, or are they um, 
really good question, and I think you actually talked a little bit about this in, in the fold um, a week or two back, um, coming out of the Where Are the Audiences research. Um, so, I mean, there's a couple of points that you've made there. So you're, you're right. Our, our remit is really clear. Um, it is all about content and content delivery to diverse audiences. Um, the, the trick around the 50 mil, of course, is that it's jointly administered by the NZFC and us, and the NZFC's remit is, is, is far broader. So they've, they've taken on a role in, in sort of development and industry sort of support and engagement because they're actually required to. Ours is sort of less so. So I think traditionally we definitely have seen our role as far more about funding content that's sort of put in front of us rather than necessarily having a view on how do we make that content sort of better. And of course there's there's a trick within our legislation in terms of our, our inability to kind of engage in editorial direction. Um, I don't think that means that we can't engage in development or see the importance of lifting the bar. Um, coming to your your bigger question, um, which is sort of the elephant in the room, I guess, which is, you know, what do we best put our money into given the fragmentation of audiences now? Um, and and I guess your point around sort of work schemes, i.e. employment of people, uh, which is exactly what, you know, some of the sort of the bigger budget dramas do deliver, which is meaningful employment um, and, and have delivered meaningful employment over time. Um, look, I think... There are a couple of things at play. So one is we definitely do believe that um, writing is is at the centre of all of this. That that lifting the quality of writing is is something that we should, wherever the bar is now, we should continue to to see that bar um, lift. So we are doing a piece of work around that. Um, that's actually been driven out of sort of a request from our board. So I think everyone around the board table and in, and in management here are sort of saying that's an area of focus for us. Um, the bigger question about do we continue to fund these big premium dramas um, given uh, fragmentation of audience? I guess um, right now our view is um, we, we need to continue to assess the data. We, we really, and I guess we need to continue to kind of t- t- take a view that we are, we're here to deliver as much varied content as we can. And there is a place for these large screen um, large premium dramas, especially when you see, I mean, One Lane Bridge, obviously it's screened through through lockdown, but the ratings for that show were, were through the roof. Um, so there is an audience for for these dramas. The, the question, I guess, which you're probably getting at is where's the balance? Where do we actually kind of, where do, where do we move these things? And I guess we are lucky insofar as we have a, a really flexible funding sort of model in the, in the, the media fund, which sort of has has definitely opened the doors to a huge number of other platforms that are coming through and commissioning content that we're funding, including obviously the spin-off, which does uh, fantastic work. I mean, the, the, I guess the thing that I find interesting about all this is that it feels like there's, there's um, you know, with, with, with so many things in our society, there is a bias towards the status quo over the unimagined or, or um, unrealized um, opportunities that, you know, or, or, or count, count, you know, like um, what, what, what else, you know, the, the, the opportunity costs of, of continuing to do something versus tearing it up and doing something new. And there's also a tremendous risk in doing that, both in terms of people whose lives and livelihoods and, and kind of consumption habits would be disrupted. But I think every time we continue to 
operate in a particular way. There are sort of, I, I always kind of envisage these sort of, you know, like almost ghostly figures of the projects unfunded, the, the audiences unserved, who just have been locked out. And you, and you lock them out long enough and they'll never be made flesh. You know, they, they just move out of the creative sector. They just stop consuming New Zealand content. And um, and I guess that's the, the sort of the thing that I found so interesting and confronting in a way about that um, where the audiences are report there was I mean there's so so much in it and we'll only sort of scratch the surface of it but I think the big thing that you just sort of can't deny is that um, the the shift to digital has you know it the, the it's happening you know might be happening right this very hour where, where um, the actual switch over from the traditional uh, sort of platforms to, to the next one is to, to, to the digital platforms is is happening but more to the point is that for for younger New Zealanders and it's not even super young we're not talking about teenagers necessarily we're talking about people under sort of uh, 40 50 you know 60 even they, they are already there and they, they are there, there is so much in that. They're, they're much harder to serve, but that's also a much more diverse audience. You know, we're talking about Asian New Zealanders, Pacific New Zealanders, um, uh, Maori. You know, actually have a more similar consumption pattern to, to to Pakeha in a way. But but still, if you look at what the group that are really well served looks like and what the group that are, are less well served, do you think that the media as a whole and New Zealand on air as well have done enough, worked hard enough to go and, and meet the, the less well-served audiences? Um, I'm, not sure that I, I'm not sure that I have an answer for whether um, people have worked hard enough. Um, I, I think that what we definitely see as a result of the research is that there is more work that needs to be done. So yes, I guess we need to work harder. Um, I think that you've, you're right in pointing out a couple of key key points there. So for us, there are a couple of really obvious takeouts from where are the audiences in terms of underserved um, folk, um, certainly youth. So um, you'll obviously be aware that where are the audiences has come out only a couple of months after the children's um, media use research that we undertook as well, which showed very similar kind of trends. So. There's no question that youth is an area that we all need to focus on. And um, in, in terms of working hard, I mean, we've already engaged in conversations with, uh, with some of our sort of um, important platforms. So we've had a really, really interesting conversation with uh, RNZ, as you would expect us to. Um, we're really keen to kind of take a, a, sort of a, a, a sort of bipartisan approach to this and kind of go, hey, you know, there's actually really good quality content, but it's not finding its way into the hands of of these people. I mean, I've got, I've said this a lot, I've got two young boys, 12 and 14. Um, they spend a lot of time on YouTube. Um, but they also do spend a fair bit of time on TVNZ On Demand. Um, so, you know, I think there's a couple of, there's a couple of encouraging um, signs out of the research. TVNZ One obviously um, looked really strong. Um, and you might argue that some of that has to do with COVID, and I think you have, and I think that's probably a valid argument. Um, but but on the other hand, you look at sort of Sky, which which didn't look too good at all in, in the research, and yet I'm sure they have stats that would indicate that perhaps they're doing better than what would be indicated in, in the research. 
Uh, and again, they would have been adversely impacted by COVID because of the lack of live sports, which again, I think you've talked about. Um, TVNZ On Demand is definitely you know, showing the way in, in many ways in terms of a, a digital platform that is home to you know, great content that people are engaging with. So um, yeah, it looks definitely children's and youth. And I think the other one that you just mentioned before, Duncan, is Asian, Asian New Zealanders that are definitely turning off. Um, they are both areas that we are incredibly focused on. Um, they are both areas that we are prepared to sort of set aside some funds for in the coming sort of 12 months and, and call out for new ideas, new ways of thinking, new content. Um, the, Asian, um, the Asian kind of audience issue for us is something that we are looking to work really closely with the sector. So we've literally got a meeting uh, tomorrow afternoon with the Pan-Asian Screen Collective. Um, because any you know any content that's created for those audiences needs to be authentic, right? I mean, it needs to be be told in in authentic ways with with people that that uh, are capable of of doing good work. So um, part of this is also, I think, in many ways, coming full circle back to your point about development is actually how do we how do we move this along in a you know in a way that's sensible. I mean, fundamentally, the, the, it seems to me that the the, the, given the complexity of the role that you're being asked to fulfill, the money is not adequate. I mean, I, I published a story last year that showed the sort of decline in um, New Zealand on air funding or, or broadcast funding, whatever you want to call it, over 30 years when you set it against GDP. And it's just, it's, the graph is, looks insane. But um, you, that's obviously beyond your remit. You, you, I don't even think you're. Yeah, allowed to, to sort of directly lobby for more funding. Absent more funding, the only real way to kind of do this is is to make some really hard decisions. But yet, I think we saw why we saw the most graphic example, it was, and we've almost forgotten about this episode because COVID came along almost immediately afterward. But with RNZ Concert and and the difficult decision they'd made to kind of uh, move that from uh, its existing frequency, make it basically just shrink it to a far smaller um, operation and use that resource to put it into youth. And the uproar that that um, came up then, and, and look, this is ultimately, that, that's obviously RNZ ad- administer that funding, but, well, RNZ use it operationally, but, but it is New Zealand on-air funding. Do, do you believe that... Do, do you see that those hard decisions, like let's, let's put aside whether the funding is adequate or whether more might come because that's a forever guessing game. And one thing that we know from this government um, and governments historically is that promises, even promises made aren't, aren't kept there. So let's just assume that we have what we have. Like, do you think that those, those hard decisions are, are being made? Because, uh, you know, like, you're, you know, the, the the platform you know you're you, you you're limited in some respects by um, what your sort of partner platforms um, will do can put in front of you uh, yeah what what's your what's your sense there um, so firstly we can I mean and, and you're right to say let's let's kind of shelve it but but just to kind of be clear we we can obviously lobby for more money and we do so we you know as as any decent agency does we 
we put in a budget bid, you know, pretty much every year that sort of says here's some things that we, you know, we, we could do with more money. Uh, and in fact, actually, you know, we got a lot of funds through COVID, but actually there was a, there was an amount of 25 million over four years that was allocated to us in in um, in recent sort of months, which was as a result of a budget bid around um, supporting a lot of the platforms that we we fund. So Access Radio, Student Radio, that obviously deliver really meaningful kind of content for diverse audiences, but also support you know a lot of the kind of the musicians that we sort of support on the music side. So so it's not an impossibility that that we you know would would get further funds. That said, I think in in, in the current economic environment. Um, we probably need to be be a little re- realistic about how much money is likely to be kind of given to us as an increase. So, so your question about hard hard decisions. Uh, look, I I think if we were ever going to, we're in a position where we would now because we have you know a, a new CEO in the seat. Um, Jane uh, was amazing. I have to say. I mean, if 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 a reflection of a CEO is is the the quality of the people that you inherit when you walk in, then then she's pretty amazing because we've got a great team. Um, but we've got a, you know, we've got a new CEO. We've got a relatively new head of funding. Um, we've got a chair who really understands the the industry. So um, th- these these kind of hard questions are being asked. Um, the trick is how you get to the answers. And uh, look, it's really interesting that you pointed out the RNZ concert um, situation because. Um, you know, in many ways, all RNZ is sort of seeking to do is kind of deliver to their remit, which is supposed to be, you know, broad audiences. And, and you know, if, if they perceive that there is a significant chunk of audience that is being missed, then of course that they actually required to, to think about how they address that. I would say that's exactly the same for us. We're, we're, we're actually legislatively required to deliver to these diverse audiences. Um, the, the, the trick for us, I think, is in coming into this, you know, relatively, you know, I've, I've been in here six odd months now, is um, really, really getting our heads around the data. You know, so where are the audiences is a fundamental piece of research, but but all of the other platforms that we support have their own data as well. And and really, it's not just, it's sort of not just where the audiences are, but but where aren't, what are they engaging and what are their motivations? So when my, when my kids are engaging in YouTube, what sort of content are they engaging in that they like? Because there's actually no point in us kind of assuming that the content that we're now going to fund that's different to the content we funded before is going to hit the mark either. Um, and, and really that's back to the platforms that we support. So if I look at sort of stuff and, and the spin-off and, and some of those other digital platforms that we're already supporting... Um, understanding your audiences and understanding what's going to deliver a meaningful audience is kind of what you have to do every day, right? I mean, that's actually how you survive. You you have to intimately understand your audiences and deliver to it. So we kind of need to all work together on this. Do you, do you think that... I mean, I think that point you make about what are they actually consuming there, that's in some ways the elephant in the room. Like... It, because because the the platforms like YouTube, Instagram, and so on, Facebook, and so on, are just completely open, you can and you know we've seen the the sort of de- to our detriment that that just anything can get put there. I mean, like it's it's sort of if you take it to its logical degree, you kind of do you have to consider funding 
um, 5G conspiracy videos because they've been wildly popular on on Facebook over the past while. Well, obviously, that's insane. But mm. you know, we we and the production sector particularly tend to think, you know, we we mostly get up and do the same thing that we did the day before, and we sort of think of drama and comedy and so on. And the way that those things concepts are expressed um, on platforms is is wildly different to the way they are sort of com- produced as commodities um, in a way by by the sector. You know, do, do you, like, is there a world, for example, just to, to kind of put it from a different tangent, that, like, we talk about platforms and, and you know, much as I'm stoked with the spinoff and how it's gone and we, we do have a big audience, like, the biggest audiences and where the audiences are back this up are, are YouTube and and Facebook and so on, so on. Um, Netflix even. Is there a scenario coming, or can you imagine a scenario where you fund a creator without a sort of a New Zealand intermediary, without a sort of a platform intermediary direct for um, a YouTube or, or, or a Facebook, or is that a sort of a, a you know, and without necessarily even a production company attached because their work is is popular and meets some of your other goals like is that something that you've contemplated um i think we may have done something some time ago around uh youtube content um look i think i mean there's a couple of key points here right you talked before about risk and opportunity costs and you know for us right now um you know the the real advantage about being able to fund content through a platform like the spin-off is that you you fulfill a commissioning role which we need right because we're not allowed to engage in in directing people around the content so um, you know as a government agency we need to know that the money that we're investing in the content is going to be be delivered uh, and delivered in, in an appropriate way that will deliver to to you know an audience so um, you know right now I, I guess, you know what we're starting to see is is you know brilliant content created by the likes of the spin-off that might end up on YouTube, but but it, it, it's it starts out on the spin-off, which is where we're hoping the audiences will go, acknowledging that a lot of them aren't. You know, so what we're starting to see a lot more of, and I feel like this is almost the sort of this it's kind of the step towards what you're talking about is what are the secondary platforms that some of these main platforms that are coming to us are sort of thinking about using. So if we look at something like Sis, which was commissioned by Prime but played on Comedy Central, which is which is not really, you know, generally a normal platform for us to support, but actually, you know, that that content is just amazing and it's just doing so well that you sort of go, look, um, that's kind of a model that worked. that feels to me like a more sensible compromise to start with. Um, you know, I, I guess my, my my concern about going straight to some of these bigger platforms is is is, is one the commissioning aspect, and two sort of a commitment to local. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, in many ways, I guess the the answer to your question is probably going to be around youth. So, so the work that we need to do over the next you know three or four months around understanding those youth audiences and really thinking about how we can engage with them um, could deliver up some really interesting insights. I guess the, the other point I'd make, and I know that this is a sort of a general interview for your audience, but 
but you know, actually engaging with the, with the likes of yourself and some of those other sort of digital um, platforms is really important for us as well. I mean, you, you you're delivering up a really strong youth audience, as we understand it. Yeah, that that's um, you know, we, we we've that's been the big thing for us. You know, we we had a, a huge surge in, in eighteen to twenty four. I think you know, in some ways, this news event has has kind of onboarded a bunch of people as news consumers who might have been a bit more passive about it. So you know, we had. A f- it seems insane, but a 400% year-on-year rise in in the youth um, proportion of our, our audience per, per Google Analytics, which we were not necessarily seeking, but we're, we're very grateful for. I mean, but but the thing is, like, as much as, you know, we, and we're sort of trying to figure out what to do with that, and, and everyone is figuring out, trying to figure out how to better serve those audiences. Like, it's not like we're um, alone in that by by any means. The fundamental thing, though, and I thought that this was another really fascinating and, and again, like challenging element of where the audiences are, was the the rise and penetration of gaming, which is not something that New Zealand on Air currently participates in any meaningful way, as I understand it. But will you? I mean, and 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 how would you judge success? And it's just, it's just it operates so differently in terms of the way that people engage with it to the rest of your portfolio yeah I mean ga- yeah gaming is massive we, we are um, we've actually just been through we're in the middle of a round right now which is um, is going to be allocating some funds to children's games and so the process we went through there was interesting because to your point it is quite different um, at the moment uh, it's a little bit easier for us in the youth space because there's a platform by which the, the games that we fund will be sitting on um, and we've managed to find some really learned people that sort of have helped us through that process of determining which ones, you know, should be selected and which ones shouldn't. Um, look, ga- gaming generally, I mean, is is a really, I mean, as as a group, the um, the New Zealand Gamers Association, um, ver- you know, the various people that we've met with over over the recent few sort of few months would say um, that. They, they have not been uh, supported anywhere near as well as, as pretty much most of the other sort of sectors around, right? So if you have a look at the kind of the film incentives for sort of uh, export-orientated um, business compared to, you know, the, the lack of any kind of assistance for, for, for gaming is, is, is something that feels like it's going to be kind of continued to be kind of talked about in, in, um, in ever louder voices because... Uh, they are, on the one hand, delivering really significant um, export earnings for the country and its weightless export and all of those wonderful things that we're going to need uh, in an environment where our borders are closed. Um, from our perspective, obviously, it's more about games that are kind of culturally relevant. Um, but you're right, the audience are definitely engaging in them. Um, it's it, 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 it's another area for us to consider within the finite pool of money that we have to play with. Uh, and another area that you know is, is a new, it, it's in the report, and I've certainly had conversations with yourself, with Amy, and with others at New Zealand on Air. It's kind of a standing issue, and and is the relationship with journalism and. There, you know, there historically there hasn't been a need to fund it, but there has been huge attrition in terms of the number of journalists working. Just uh, well, at the same time, the amount of output, and you know, as we've seen through the last six months, the reliance on it um, has only increased. Do, you know, 
is the, is that something that you is that a space that you want to you know, and you have played in it a little through both current affairs and and um, you know to a certain extent the LDR and so on is that something you would voluntarily kind of increase your involvement with were there to be a mandate or do you think that that is almost like a, a sort of a separate you know like are you wary of mission creep because you're already your missions crept pretty pretty far <laughs> you um, know yeah look I think we, yeah, I mean I think that's a really fair fair point about mission creep I mean what what we saw through sort of COVID was a, a genuine I guess a genuine sense that if there was to be an agency that might be able to intervene and and administer sort of funds in a contestable and transparent way we're probably the most logical place to go if you want to go with someone that's already established um, and, and to be fair, I think that the view then and po- probably still now is it's one of those things that you, you probably aren't going to have a lot of time to go and set up something new. So is there a way to just sort of set aside further funds and, and allow us to effectively sort of do what we do every day for screen, music and, and, and other sort of um, content? So, so, yeah, I mean, I think we could do it. Um, we, we would... Um, yeah, I think your point is right. We're already doing it to a level, um, and and I guess we are seen as an agency that can navigate sort of contestability in a in, in as good a way as any um, in, a, in an environment where you don't have anywhere near as, as, as enough money to fund everything you like. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's, I don't think it's a secret that we were sort of involved in some some discussions around how we might be able to help um, and sort of sort of assisting in some level of framing up of what something might look like. Um, the sense I have at the moment is that it's it's unlikely to happen. Well, it's certainly not going to happen between now and the election, obviously. Um, and I guess the question is, um, you know, what what is the state um, of the media landscape as we as we move forward? I mean, do you, with these kind of decisions around gaming and, and journalism, to what extent, and, and you know, other forms that we, we, we haven't talked about potentially, do you sort of voluntarily walk into them or, or do you let the sort of data kind of lead you? Or, or is there a sense of it's actually actively dangerous to open a door knowing that inevitably it means uh, taking from another uh you know, another pie that someone else is relying on elsewhere? Um, do we... <sighs> Look, there is, there is no doubt that um, we, we're, we're really conscious of the, of the sort of the level of funding that we have in place and uh, the ask on it. So for us to put our hands up and take on more... Um, without sort of an associated increase in sort of budget to support that would be would be concerning. Um, the, the the journalism piece, I guess, again, and I've got such fresh eyes here, so I take no credit for it. But um, you know, as an agency, we we really do for, with with the sort of the twenty odd staff that we have, we're extraordinarily good at, at working through sort of processes around um, you know. Contestably comparing and and kind of making decisions around funding. So, you know, in many ways, whether it's a game or or you know a piece of journalism content or a piece of screen content, in many ways, I guess we feel like we could 
we could pick that up. Obviously, we'd, we'd be expected to, to bring in more sort of resource and skill to, to ensure that we did that well. Um, do, we, do we walk into the stuff? Well, I, I guess my view is um, if you're kind of relatively good at what you do and you're confident in your ability to do these things, then yes, you should, you should be saying we're up for it. Um, at the same time, the, the day job that we have in here and the challenges that you're already talking about, even if you take journalism off the table and you take gaming off the table, right? If you just look at the stuff we fund now and, and the challenges we have around youth and, and a number of those other audiences that we've discussed and um, the, the level of funds that we can put to, to drama versus factual and various other things, there, there's, there's, we've, got a, we've got a lot to, to kind of manage through. Um, but, but I guess it would be wrong of us to sort of sit here in Wellington and just say, no, 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 we only want to do what we kind of do. <laughs> mm. or, or only want to do what we've done for the last 30 years because actually things are changing. I mean, and, and ultimately, a lot of this does come back to, to data and, and, you know, the, any regular listener to this podcast knows how excited I get about the where the audiences are survey. Um, and the reason is because I consider it a neutral arbiter because everyone cherry picks their data. Everyone, you know, data providers. I don't think, are, you know, there's a reason why you get recruited and retained as a um, provider because ultimately, you're you have the ability to help people tell a story that they want told. How how has the the industry and your sort of stakeholder platforms responded to that piece of research? And obviously, it's been going on for a while, but this was a particularly fraught one in a way. Both because of the timing and because of what it ultimately the, the stories it told. Yeah, I think it's been a bit of a mixed bag this year. I think there are definitely advocates. Um, I, I would suggest you're probably one of the leading lights for uh, for for advocacy. But um, look, I think there's been some pretty obvious kind of comments made, and in fact, you made them on the fold uh, last week or the week before. Um, so Sky, quite rightly, have sort of said, "Well, hang on, we didn't have any live sport," um, and in truth. As I said at the start of the interview, that they will have their own numbers, right? So whether whether someone watched Sky yesterday or not um, doesn't actually answer the question as to whether they still have Sky or not. Uh, and in truth, during lockdown, you know, I'm sure there were a whole bunch of Sky subscribers that that had Sky just didn't happen to be watching it at the time. Um, radio, I think, is another one that you rightly pointed out, and we we did as well in the research, which is you know, um, radio relies a lot on commuter traffic, you know, in the mornings and in the evenings, and obviously that wasn't um, certainly wasn't as prevalent at, in the time that we took it. But 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 ultimately, I think our view is that the trends sort of seem to be pretty clear. Um, one of the things we have said we would do though is we will do this again next year. Um, Obviously, we have no idea what next year will bring either, but, but in truth, um, we may just need to accept that the new normal is, is a level of uncertainty and sort of change. So um, I, I guess my view, having looked at it, was, wow, the, this, this, this is moving so quickly that, that even two years just seems way, way too long. Um, and I know you quite liked the idea of two years because you really get a kind of a sense of the changes. But oh, no, I think I'm, the changes I'm like, are so We should immense. be doing this monthly. <laughs> I'm obsessed, man. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, An- annually is good. Annually is yeah. excellent. Okay. Um, so, so on that, just just I'm, I'm aware that we're coming towards the end of the, the, the time um, that we have. But two the 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 two big state owned. Um, uh, elements of, of this, you know, who between TVNZ and RNZ, they they soak up the largest part of funding, and you know, 
both are incredibly you know they, they have legacy audiences um they both uh you know also completed digital transitions and both of them certainly are making the case for um continue you know continuing to be fun in fact with rnz growing the funding starting to more and more contest the the contestable element as well as their allocated funding do, do you think let's take R, rnz first do you think that the that that um that it's right that the that they get a sort of an allocated fund and then participate in the contestable space particularly given that you know certainly and i know that they dispute would i'm sure that they would dispute uh the where the audience is uh, data but the the known thing about rnz is that it it has a the biggest chunk of its audience is older and, and pakeha as, as much as they are trying and you know and like i say rnz super fan here consume a lot of it um mm. but you know not necessarily the, the data the publicly available data doesn't necessarily back up their um, success in that area so have they Earned the right to take a bigger piece of that pie, so that they can, you know, reach their, their sort of some of their statutory requirements. Um, look, I, th I think they've earned their right to a to a certain level, and I think that's that's the agreement that we sort of have w with with them is that, um, you know, really what we would hope is that they're doing an awful lot with the funding that they get directly. If there is the odd piece of content that sits outside of what they might normally do that delivers to a specific you know, audience or, or topic that we, we believe is, um, is worthy, then, then we would look at it. Um, part of the trick here, of course, is that there was a joint innovation fund um, that was created from some new money a couple of years ago, which is sort of, I think it was a two-year appropriation, which has now ended. And as is often the case with these things, some really amazing pieces of content were created through that fund that, that kind of um, feel right to continue, even though the, the funding is gone. So, look, to be fair, I guess we, we, we look at RNZ like we do every other platform to a certain degree in terms of, um, you know, what is the quality of the content that you're delivering, but we are also very mindful of, um, of not over, um, you know, overfunding them, if you like. Yeah, I'm sure that they, they don't view that as a risk, but certainly... Uh... You can understand why why some other platforms might might look askance at it, just given the amount of um, non-contestable funding that they receive. The the other the, the the biggest winner of the survey by far on almost every level was TVNZ. Um, so the the things that really stood out to me were, were that trust element, which uh, was was just extraordinary um, as a result for them. But also the, the scale of TVNZ was probably even even bigger in a way. Is there a case now that um, TVNZ has, has won that battle? I mean, we know what network effects are like. You, you know, you're, you've, you've talked about your boys using that, that platform. Now, now that that is almost, you know, that is becoming a, a channel that uh, is is probably the best hope we have of there being a domestic rival to YouTube and Netflix in terms of the attention economy. Is there a sort of, you know, d does, you know, uh, is there a discussion or, or um, you know, is it New Zealand on Air's place or, or have TVNZ talked about the the idea that that platform becomes a bit more open? You know, like I that that certain kinds of shows or even say 
ended on screen content or or um, shows that might have been sort of funded for prime or or, or three um, should also sit there like a, a case for kind of radically reimagining what the scope of it is and and stopping you know all sorts of other providers spending the money on technology and and so on to try and draw people into platforms that fundamentally don't have either the volume or the audience scale to compete against these just enormously funded international giant tech giants? Um, that's a really, yeah, it's a really complex question um, and, and probably really um, is a question that, that could really be rightly asked of TVNZ um, and some of the other platforms more than us. Um, I mean, our, our view right now, whether, the, whether this is right or not for, for the future, is that we, we want to see uh, having, having multiple channels in the market is important. Um, you know, Three's um, um, you know, recent announcement around Discovery coming on board, um, I think generally we're all feeling like actually having an owner that is you know, a, 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 you know, a, a content maker and and actually in the in the industry is is going to be a really good thing for them um, you know look in truth the numbers for three again within the research um, you know they 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 weren't playing some of their bigger tentpole shows that that actually aren't funded by us but but do bring an audience like the block and others um, so my view would be that we want to try and maintain a level of kind of linear strength and and plurality um, that the question around TVNZ on demand is a really interesting one because they really they are doing very very well there and um, no doubt have invested a lot to get to that point um, and have sort of seen that, that that digital change early and have moved to it. Um, again, I guess it's not really for us to to necessarily sort of be involved in whether Three or Prime or others should be doing something similar. I guess um, Sky have obviously taken um, quite a significant kind of digital view as well. Um, the, the only, I mean, the only area where this sort of may become more relevant, and I, I suspect we're going to run out of time, is around the strong public media um, kind of piece that was kind of happening earlier in the year, and, and no doubt um, will continue to kind of be discussed. As you know, where does that all kind of land? Yeah, the, 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 this is the, the the merger of or potential merger of TVNZ and RNZ, which feels like it's languishing in, in some kind of dust-gathering cupboard alongside the uh, the RNZ Youth Channel at the moment. Um, but, you know, maybe 2020, uh, once once that's in the rear view, that, that might be resuscitated. Uh, we have uh, run out of time, but um, thank you so much for coming on the, the show, Cameron, and, and congrats on surviving your first six months. And uh, hopefully... We can we can have you again on again sometime when invariably the entire world will have changed radically again. But yeah, thank you so, so much. So next week then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cool. Cheers. Thanks. Man. Cheers. Kia ora e te iwi. Te ahi Butler here, podcast manager at the Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.